Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Xvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Did you know that only 13% of salespeople worldwide think they get helpful coaching from their sales leaders, but 83% of the leaders of these reps think they are awesome at coaching? Head to xvoyant.com for the world's largest sales leadership resource center. Discover best practices in sales leadership, common pitfalls to avoid, and learn how to become a legendary sales leader with every rep on your team. Xvoyant will help you move past focusing only on your number and is your partner to start building a dominant sales dynasty. The Xvoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones can drive purpose-driven activities in a way that will create new normals with every single rep on your team. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Xvoyant can help you create a sales dynasty faster than you ever thought possible. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Matt Marino, Vice President of Sales for Global Payments. Global Payments provides a single platform that allows merchants to accept payments in over 170 countries and offers over 140 local payment methods worldwide. Matt's team is responsible for global payments worldwide customer growth from large multinational businesses. Matt has a killer story as a salesperson and as a sales leader. He ran sales at WePay for three years, growing the business rapidly and resulting in a successful acquisition by J.P. Morgan Chase. He knows how to grow small businesses and also scale large ones around the world. Matt's a fantastic resource for any sales leader, and I am so excited to have him join us today. Matt, welcome to our show, and thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks, Rob. I'm pumped to be here. Now, I'm pumped to have you. I I, uh, I love your story. I can't wait to dive into it. Uh, uh, it's been a long time coming getting you on here. I, I want to start the way we usually start. And can you take a couple of minutes and introduce global payments to our listeners? Uh, you guys are doing amazing things, and you're a, a presence that people should know about. Can you just give us the story on, on who global payments is? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I would say the, the best thing about global payments is, they're one of the few companies whose name represents exactly what they do, global payments. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the biggest challenges for merchants who are selling goods and services is really being able to offer a range of currencies, payment types, at different channels, like at the point of sale or the website. And global payments totally solves this problem with, with one API, one connection, one relationship. Uh, we enable clients to process, as you mentioned, over 170 different countries, offer over 140 uh, payment types, um, all with ease. And so that's, that's huge because payments is one of those things that should be simple, but due to all the different 
regulatory, financial, and technical restrictions that make things way too complex. Um, so yeah, sure, like a, a payment is the final step in any sort of commercial transaction. And while it may seem like a formality, when done correctly, it can really it can really create a positive emotional experience, like one of anticipation, enjoyment, gratification. And so, you know, for us, like when when a payment uh, solution is seamless, it's fast, it's personalized, it's borderless and consistent, uh, you know, we find it not only drives more transactions, but it, it does other things like increasing approval rates and satisfaction and can really help merchants grow customer loyalty. And so that's, that's really what we're about. It's all about helping merchants sell their goods and services more easily in more markets. Well, it's a problem that every single company has to solve by virtue of being a business. I mean, you got to be able to, to collect payments from customers uh, because even if you're a nonprofit, it takes cash. It takes money to get it going. And, and I love that we have you here because not only is it a problem everyone has to solve, but it's becoming increasingly complex. You already alluded to like the regulatory things, but also the bad guys are trying to make it easier mm-hmm. and easier for them to steal. So you must have like, you've got a really mission critical problem that you help people solve and you do it on a global basis and you're working with large companies. I would imagine that uh, you have some very unique and interesting sales challenges that I, I'm really excited to, to dive into with you today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. Uh, while a, a payment transaction is relatively simple and seamless on the back end, there's a whole layer of complexity around routing the transaction and kind of most importantly ensuring that the cardholder really is who they say they are so that the merchant can get paid. So we'll get into some of the things you're doing with your with your company, but I, I think everybody that's listening can is nodding their head saying, yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. Your total addressable market's pretty big. It's basically everybody who wants to get paid by a customer, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you have a pretty unconventional road, though. To, you're, you're what I'm going to call a fintech rock star. You've got an awesome background in this space. Fintech is a hot space. Some of the best deals and the best growth is happening in the fintech space. Um, I think that you're like a lot, like myself and a lot of people I talk to, though. It's kind of unconventional in that didn't grow up saying can't wait to be a uh, sales leader. Uh, I, I want to hear your story. Can you give us a quick kind of background on what led you to sales and what got you to global payments? Yeah, sure. Um, and, and you're right. My career definitely has taken a very unconventional path. Um, I suppose if we, if we go way back, my first sales job is actually when I was in high school selling hiking and climbing equipment at REI. You know, I, I loved nice. every single, I loved every day of it. Um, a big outdoor enthusiast. And at the time I was doing volunteer search and rescue. And so I had like this kind of deep passion for the mountains. And so it never really felt like work. I mean, I, I simply wanted folks who came in to have the right gear so they could enjoy themselves outdoors. Uh, and, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, gosh, that was 20, 25 years ago. But the lesson I learned there was like that, that passion is the rocket fuel for, uh, for delivering high performance. So anyways, after, uh, after my, after high school, I left the Northwest, uh, went to undergrad in the Bay area to study computer engineering, worked as a software engineer, while in school and then for like half a year after graduation. And while I really enjoyed math and science, I really disliked programming every day. I mean, gosh, <laughs> it was it was rough. I just I, I found it I found it just far too isolating. I mean I, I love problem solving, but I'd much rather be 
solving problems with people than just behind a, a computer monitor. Uh, so in in the late uh, was it late 2003, I joined uh, a company called CyberSource, uh, and it was like an, a very, very entry-level sales role. I mean, it would be what would be equivalent to like an, an SDR position. Yep. And and my, my engineering friends thought I was nuts because I was going from, uh, you know, pro- programming to making 80 to 110 cold calls a day. And this is before all of the great automated solutions that we have today. I mean, I, I literally had like a Excel doc to go off of, and a good day would be if I could get, say, two people to schedule a follow-up meeting. Um, and so this is a big, big change for me. Right? Like I, I went from going in like this kind of isolated manner to spending six hours plus on the phone every day just talking to people. I remember I, I lost my voice after three weeks because I wasn't used to talking that much. And nice. I mean, candidly, like it, it nearly broke me. I mean, I, and I just finished a super hard uh, degree and now I was doing something that I thought, Hey, like anyone with half a brain could do. Um, and so I, I stuck with it. And after a few months realized that having a technical background really played to my advantage and that I could speak to both audiences, both of the business and technical, uh, with great insight and not a whole lot of, of BS. No doubt. So, yeah, so I, I grinded, I let my ego down and just tried to learn everything I could about sales and, uh, you know, got lucky and was able to ride like a series of internal promotions and, Got great experience doing direct sales, channel sales, sales management, enterprise sales, and so on. And uh, in 2010, that company, uh, CyberSource, was acquired by Visa, uh, and I was asked to go build a, a team in a high-growth commerce market. So in 2000, 2011, my wife and I packed up all of our belongings uh, in San Francisco, and uh, gosh, we'd only been married for like six months. And we got a one-way ticket to Sydney, Australia. Uh, And I was the the first person on the ground there and had to hire and build and coach a team of sales and sales engineering, customer success, risk, marketing, and so on. Uh, I I learned a lot, got tremendous exposure uh, to the the cultures and uh, business dynamics in in Asia. It, It was awesome. Um, and so, you know, wh- while abroad, I decided to go to business schools and really needed more formal education on, on just just understanding the broader global marketplace and how to better apply that within my own team, within my own uh, or- organization at Visa. Um, you know, in, in the past, it had never made sense for me, right? Like going from in the past being a, a single guy making good money, you know, being strong, cash flow positive, it never made sense to to do an MBA and immediately go to be yep. in a cash flow negative position. Yep. Um, I realized though that like, you know, for, for my own career, I just, I needed uh, a broader exposure and kind of a, a broader network. Uh, so let's see. So, so anyway, so then, um, gosh, by 2015, uh, my Australasia business was, was profitable. We had obtained like just over 20% of the, the commerce market share, which was Congrats. great. And we decided the time was right to move back to the U.S. Uh, so we moved back to the Bay Area. 
Um, and I joined uh, another payments company, WePay, to lead sales. And the, the company was maybe 120 people. And the sales team was super small, like only a handful of folks. And I was uh, really just focused on growing, uh, growing the team and growing our client base. So uh, looking after self-development, uh, inside-outside sales, and then uh, revenue operations and analytics. And uh, just wrote a really, really fun time there. Over, over the three-year period, we grew revenue by around 240% and ultimately decided to sell the business to J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, Not a bad day. Around for, yeah, no, it was a, it was a yeah, great, great exit <laughs> for the company and for our staff. Uh, I stuck around for a year, but was really itching to get back to a company solely focused on payments uh, and one where I could get back into the international markets. And that's where I'm at now at, at Global Payments. Um, awesome story. So yeah, I yeah yeah. So if I you know look back at my career, it's it's really. It, sort of been capstone by just a lot of building and executing, building and executing. Um, and um, totally. Yeah. 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 That's sales, man. You, you build and you execute. I love, those are two great words. My, the thing I wrote down as I listened to you that really jumps at me that I want to get into a little bit here is you said you learned as a, as a young dude, right? One of the first lessons you learned passion, Mm -hmm. the rocket fuel for performance. I love that. Passion mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. rocket fuel for performance. So I, I want to get into that a little bit. One of the things that makes you unique uh, from our guests that we've had is you've grown small teams to acquisition, like what you talked about with WePay, uh, and now you're scaling you know, a global powerhouse. Uh, you've gone into companies like Visa and said, I'll build up something inside of a big deal and get it to massive market share, 20%. Uh, you're now working with people around the world that are 50 year old cup customer, uh, company. How similar is working with a young company versus a massive company? And then how are they different? Any, any, anything that we can say that is similar to that job, uh, before we get into the differences? Hmm. I would say, um, what is, First, what it, what is similar is uh, you're you're likely, and this is just from my own experience, but you're likely to find um, you know passionate, good people at, at both companies, regardless of size. The, the primary difference, from what I've experienced, though, is at what is the rate of change that those teams, and particularly those people, are used to, and that's that's probably one of the the hardest things with um, kind of transitioning from a, a small company to a big company or vice versa is sort of adopting a change mindset um, as, as a sales leader, or really any leader, being able to effectively uh, run change management uh, uh, effectively. And then as you're managing people, like getting those people to get uh, on board, getting your executive team to get on board, um, so that you've got uh, uh, stakeholders who know that the reason why they're changing is for the better. What I like is you said you can find passionate people on both sides. How how hard is it? I mean, how how do you attract that? How do you act like a magnet? Or like my friend Ralph Barcy said, how do you put the bat signal up into the sky and attract people with passion for what you're doing rather than just people that want a job? Because one of the things that also stood out to me 
Matt, was you said you wanted to get back into the payments world with an international flair. Mm-hmm. You had passion for that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there's so many people that job hop and there's so many people that just look for a job. How do you attract the people with passion? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I think you, you can, first you can tell people just simply by talking to them, right? Like yeah. do, do they have, do they have passion when they're talking to you? Um, and so then the other thing I look for is, you know, salespeople are naturally really good at selling themselves. So what has been their, their history in that space of whatever it's, whatever they're passionate about, right? And so, like, how active are they on, uh, I don't know, uh, LinkedIn or, or Twitter kind of promoting and sharing what they're passionate about? Um, what sort of industry events do they go to? Um, you know, what sort of books do they read? I mean, th- those are all kind of really good indicators of um, really what what gets them motivated and excited and interested. Then let's let's get into your your sales leadership blueprint because you've built some companies. Like I said, some got acquired, some just got big market share, others just continue their quest for world domination. You know a thing or two about getting into high growth mode and staying there. What goes into the blueprint for helping you create that rocket ship or that that high growth situation that everybody talks about, but it's easier said than done? Mm. So I. I suppose first, um, just being just hyper clear on the priorities of the executive team. Uh, and, and that's going to be different for every company based on the, the stage that the company's in, but also, um, the size and what their, what their executive team uh, wants, right? For a, for a early stage company, it may be something as, as, as simple as, Hey, like we just, we need to grow grow the number of bodies here or add some new uh, logos, whereas other more mature ones, it's all about hitting a, a net revenue target or a, a EBITDA figure or, or what have you. Um, and and when when folks then join a, a company or a leading a team, uh, right, it's, it's about trying to leave um, whatever sort of uh, biases or what may have made you successful in a prior company aside and really like just 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 learning about the business right learning about the, the product the people uh what has made the business successful or not successful in the past and what needs to be done to uh to to to, to change things going forward um and i think kind of that it's sort of like uh, like a doctor right like you, you got to do good diagnosis before you uh you go prescribe a treatment and if you were to kind of walk in and Say you know, hey, like my my knee hurts, and I you know say, okay, take these pills; it'll make you feel better. It could be the totally wrong uh, prescription compared to if I had done a kind of more complete diagnostic on you and say, oh, well, actually, like you just need to you know, do the stretch two times a day, type of thing. All right, so hyper clarity, you know, that's different than just clarity. When you say hyper clarity, is there any suggestions that you might give sales leaders that hey, don't you know? That, how, how do you make sure you're, you're hyper clear, crystal clear, you know, um, any suggestions? Because I found people say, man, I thought I was doing the right job and I came to find out they wanted something different. I've actually heard that enough times that I think that you're onto something by making that step one. A- any suggestions on making sure mm-hmm. that you're, you're hyper clear? Well, and I've always operated with a high degree of transparency, maybe, maybe even more than, uh, people are used to or would want or expect. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's something, um, as, 
as simple as, you know, like so when, you, when you join a company or, I don't know, maybe it's you're starting a new financial year, um, writing out a, a six-month or a year-long plan uh, and sharing it with the executive team. I'm saying, hey, like, he, based on what I know of the business, the strategic priorities, what our goals are, here's what I'm focused on. You know, here's like a high-level summary. Here's like a one-page that has like a detailed bullets of what I'm going to be doing. And that way, at least, like, it's, it's documented. You know, all known parties are, are privy to it. And it's something you can share with your team so that there's – they know you have no hidden agendas or, I don't know, doing, do, are doing something nefarious. Uh, but it just presents, like, an honest level of transparency of what you plan to be doing based on the goals of the business. Okay. So step one in your blueprint, make sure you're, you got a hyper clarity on what is expected. What, what's number two for you as you build your high growth team as a leader? I think, uh, step number two, uh, is developing a, uh, a sense of urgency with why these things need to get done. Um, I, mean, I think as, as a sales leader or any leader, part of our role, part of our job function is to uh, implement change. And so the you know, the first sort of step of that is kind of after examining the, the business and the market dynamics, um, creating that and, and sharing that, that sense of urgency with your team. I hear a lot of people ask that, you know, so how do you build urgency? I mean, that's, it's really interesting because you're going to have urgency as the leader because you have hyper clarity on what you've got to achieve. Uh, I'm thinking of a sales leader that I was talking to uh, that's a really good sales leader of a high growth company that said one of his things that pisses him off is seeing all these deals closing in the last month or the last week of the quarter or the last week of the month, last mm-hmm. day of the month. He's like, why do we only get urgency in the last few days? I guess mm-hmm. he said, I can create urgency on any freaking day. Uh, any any insights on how you how do you build and create and and manage urgency because also urgency sometimes has people do stupid things right yes 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 it does right we uh we when when we're uh we're pressed or back against the wall or there's a deadline it puts you know undue pressure and and uh yeah. Well, let me um, tell you why I say that while you're thinking of your answer. When I worked at a large financial institution and when I, I had the opportunity or call it different if you want to, to help guide a sales org through like the worst recession that, that a financial institution in my day ever had to go through the 2008, mm-hmm. 2009 timeframe was not a fun time to be a financial institution. Mm-hmm. And what we were told, we got very clear instructions that at when people feel a, desperation and you know that kind of urgency urgency to the point of desperation uh integrity mm-hmm. shows through and people that you thought you could count on mm-hmm. will behave completely differently and so there's you know how do you build the right kind of urgency uh, in a, in ways that you can have be predictable yeah so i think i think truly urgent behavior is focused externally on important issues it's fast moving and it's it's relentless and so the, the tactics for building true urgency is it starts with like bringing the outside reality in to, to the business, to your team. Um, it's behaving with, with urgency every day, like having a, having a bias for action. Um, it's finding uh, opportunities in crisis. And, and I think like most importantly, it's, it's communicating, right? I mean, it's, it's one of the things that 
uh, far too many leaders kind of forget to do um, when they need to operate with a sense of urgency is over-communicate. Uh, I mean, I, I know it, it seems it's hard to do. Like, I fall victim to this as well, but, but um, it, it never hurts to share why we're doing the things we're doing and why we're doing them differently um, to a lot of people over and over again until um, it becomes a part of their, part of their ethos. Um, you know, I, I, you're kind of just slightly tangential, but, you know, you made me think about how as, as sales leaders, what we're, what we're trying to balance, right, is, um, is sort of power, power and influence uh, in, in what we're doing. And, of course, like raw power is, is having control over resources and things and yourself. Um, whereas influence is like, you know, how you, how you change the thoughts and opinions of people. Um, and of course, this is related with change. This is related with, uh, with urgency. Um, and, uh, what's like, I'm trying to think like the three. Okay. Yeah. The three, like, influence frameworks like the the first is really around like obedience like if you tell your kids hey like eat your cauliflower (laughs) that's that's uh, that's one type of of, uh, influence maybe not the most effective but sometimes it's necessary uh you know compliance would be if i were to say hey uh you know rob can you uh you know ask me that pen um and then there's the there's the conformity type of influence that I think all sales leaders need to really strive for. And that's really changing their behavior um, to make it more sustainable. Uh, So there's public and private conformity. I mean, public conformity means that folks feel pressured and feel like they don't have a choice other than to just conform with what the group's doing. But what what I'm always trying to find in the teams that I'm running and the, the leadership teams I'm working for is, is private conformity, the, the sweet spot where it's all about adoption, changing people's attitudes, their worldviews, their thoughts, um, where their behavior, their ultimate like, behavior is influenced because they realize uh, what they are doing and what they need to be doing has some sort of uh, intrinsic value to it. I get it. And he, if there was like one pointer that you would say has been helpful in helping you build urgency with consistency, is there like one kind of go-to that you would suggest to our listeners? Hey, if you want to, if you're finding yourself listening, say, yeah, I want more urgency. Anything you found that's really helpful help you do that consistently? Yes. It's simple, but it's to over-communicate. Okay. Over-communicate. Just like you said, over-communicate, over-communicate. And let me ask you this. Yeah. Is, I, I would think that hiring people with passion, back to your earlier thing, if you've got passionate people, that urgency is easier to create. Is that like a no-duh? Is that obvious? Or is that like another reason why passion is so important? Because it creates urgency. Yes, it, it certainly can be, right? If, you, if you're able to channel that, that passion um, in the right way, um, and if people end up seeing the, the world and the vision the same way, absolutely. Okay. You're right. So urgency is number two. Uh, anything else on your your uh, leadership blueprint that we want to get into? Um, well, I I suppose you know for for any any leadership blueprint, um, you you first have to you first have to figure out like what do you believe, right? What what, what matters to you, um, and 
that sounds like such a obvious <laughs> first step, but is one that gets uh, overlooked by, by so many leaders because they become influenced by outside uh, forces, uh, team members, et cetera. But really being like, really knowing like, hey, like th- th- this is what I want. This is what matters to me. Uh, the second step would be um, taking action, uh, right? Because it, it just, yeah, just knowing what you want, knowing what your values are. Uh, sure, that's great, but you need to you need to have the uh, you need to have the gumption to actually act on it. And then the the third step would be to like add value to others, right? Add value to your staff, add value to shareholders, add value to clients. And I don't care like what type of business you're in, but if you're adding value to others in some way you will be rewarded for it. All right, so I love this. I have five things. Hyperclarity, urgency, uh, what do you believe, taking action, adding value. I got a question. I can't wait to get your answer now that, now that you've spelled this out for me. As a leader, what are the best ways you can add value to your reps? How do you become – we know we want our reps to add value to our customers. I, I get that. How do you add value to reps? I, I, I think this is a huge question that all of our listeners, as they're on the treadmill or walking the dog or driving in traffic, how do you add value to reps? Any thoughts on that? Hmm. Well, the, <laughs> the, the cynical answer would be, oh, just you know, clo- close their deals for them <laughs> so they can get paid more. Yeah. Um, now, I, I, I think um, – I think where perhaps the, the greatest value can be derived is first just knowing, um, and I guess the, the short answer is this is all about like coaching um, and, and an effective kind of diagnostic, but, but really knowing who they are, what their strengths and weaknesses are, um, and then um, giving them the right sort of feedback at the right time um, to help them be uh, more successful in their current job, but also to help equip them with the skills, the experience, the education, exposure, et cetera, uh, to be, uh, you know, to, to take on larger roles and, and to progress in their career. Um, I, I've seen kind of time and time again where, where there have been um, certain managers who, for whatever reason, put all that by the wayside and say, oh, like, go – you know, go learn from your peer or go, I don't know, just uh, attend this seminar. And I just think that's such a, a lost opportunity. And that's, that's, again, that's one of the best ways to again, add value is to know the people who work for you, um, know what they're doing well and what, where they need to improve. Um, and, and just, you know, provide that feedback. It's pretty simple. All right, those are those are good. That's a great blueprint. Thanks for sharing it. So let's shift gears because I'm look. I can't believe how fast time slips by. And um, when you apply this blueprint, you've applied it effectively in a lot of different uh, venues or organizations. Other than the scoreboard, because we know that the scoreboard matters. We already know that. We sign up for the more button. We sign up to grow the business. We run to that, not from that. So I'm going to take that off the table. The scoreboard is the obvious way of knowing if we're if we're winning. How do you know you're having impact, though, with your sales leadership, you know, with this blueprint or how you engage your people, however you want to look at it? And what is other than the scoreboard? Are there other things that you can share that our listeners might say, ah, oh, yeah, I should keep my eye open for that? What, what are ways that you know you're having impact other than just sales? Mm. Uh, 
Well, I, <laughs> I think your your guest uh, Sam Jacobs a few episodes back said this best when you know he said, "Hey, like in addition to hitting the number, uh, I'm striving for creating congruence amongst the executive team." <laughs> no, that's <laughs> good. That, uh, right, right. That, that yeah. hey, like. It, it, you know, yes, yeah, hitting your numbers sort of the benchmark, but ensuring that there's a right sort of, kind of operating frequency and that the, the executive team is is getting along well is also um, kind of a, a metric of, of success that I would add. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one that I would say uh, is again, how, how are you measuring the success of your clients? Right? If you're not if you're not I delivering value, if you, if you can't measure value. Of, of what your clients are getting from your services, um, that's a problem. And you, you should be able to measure that um, and should be uh, weighted just as equally as the amount of money you're getting from them. So I love that. Freaking Matt, I love that. I'll tell you why. Because it moves past just did we hit our quarter or a month or our year. And now it's, is our customer hitting their quarter, month, or year in terms of the value they thought they would get from us? Because if, mm-hmm. if we do that, that's going to be – you've already quoted one of my good friends, Sam Jacobs, that I love. I love that guy. Now you're taking me to one of the guys that you also, you and me, have in common that we both love, uh, Doug Landis. One of my favorite Landisisms is you got to mm-hmm. speak with the voice of your customer. And uh, yep. you're measuring success in terms of value that customers get. It's going to make it ten times easier for you to speak in their voice, not just share their story, right? That's right. Yeah, I love that. That's a really good insight there. I appreciate you sharing that. So as you work with these managers that you, you know, as you are building your organization and, you know, sometimes you probably feel like you're in a locomotive pulling levers and other times you feel like you're out in front of the locomotive trying to keep the tracks clear so you don't run off. I know that's both of those things happen when you're the head of sales. Is there any kind of common things you you try hard to help steer your sales managers that work for you? Uh, away from anything that you kind of see happen. They're like, Oh man, I, I got to try hard to make sure that they don't go into that and learn that lesson the hard way. Any, any kind of one or two things that you often see happen? Mm, I, I would probably the things I try to steer folks away from, uh, whether they're individual contributors or uh, uh, managers who work for me are, are just the activities that create unnecessary stress. Unnecessary stress and time. Again, because our job is stressful simple. enough as it is, right? We're already stressful. Well, yeah, you know, and and so as a as a company grows, as a team grows, there becomes more meetings, more updates, more reports, um, but also communication becomes harder, right? And and as a result of that, um, you know, kind of as I touched on earlier, like the importance of having strong, effective, regular communication is, is key. But also uh, shielding and ensuring that your your management team or your direct reports just aren't wasting cycles doing stuff that is is not adding value to them or to clients or, or to the business. Yeah, that's a really good insight. There's another one that you mentioned to me that I want to throw out and uh, and and get it on the show and get your top take on it. That that uh, one of the things you've seen sometimes people fall into that you have like put the radar up for is, hey, this is a great lead. They're in a hurry. Combine the discovery and the demo call. Let's just move this thing forward. Uh, mm-hmm. I love your thoughts on that. Can you just address that really quickly? Because I, I think that's a really relevant 
uh, challenge that I think is becoming more and more prevalent as we have, again, urgency. We have people mm-hmm. that are feeling pressure, these, these sources of stress. All the things you've talked about takes me back to that comment you made to me. Can you kind of just yeah. talk about that for a minute? Yeah, and and I'm, I'm sure that our listeners have experienced this as well, where someone will pop by their desk or a partner or whatever will say, hey, hey, this is a great lead. Uh, hey, just, you know, send them pricing or jump straight to a demo. They're available in 30 minutes <laughs> uh, type of thing. Yeah. And um, and unfortunately, if they're doing that to you, they likely just don't know or potentially respect the sales process that's in place. And so, I mean, I, I think that's that's one of like the, the biggest ways that reps end up just burning their time is kind of shortcutting the sales process. Right? I mean, there, there's no shortcuts in life. There's certainly no shortcuts in business. And so, particularly sure. as you put to, as you put together a, a legit sales process that's aligned to your client buying process. Having consistency in that um, is just is really key, right? Otherwise, you're going to find yourself in a, in a place where uh, either the, the the prospect just wasted your time, or you've set yourself up in a unfavorable place because you I don't know pre- created a pricing as it was too premature, or you misrepresented your capabilities, or you didn't you didn't do enough discovery ahead of time. Um, yeah, so I'd, I'd much I'd, I'd much rather have the difficult conversation first and say, oh well, hey, appreciate that this this uh, prospect is in a hurry and they're supposedly want to see a demo right away, but we really need to do just you know at a minimum you know x amount of time uh, on on discovery and really understanding like what's the core uh, uh, business objectives driving their desire to have a conversation with us. So, yeah, I love that. I think that that's a rampant problem in sales right now. And that's why I wanted you to address that, Matt. I call it, you know, this is, you know, you may, may or may not get a laugh, but I call it uh, premature elaboration uh, where we, where we get, we get, we get that too fast and it leaves everybody unsatisfied. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Avoid it like the plague. Yes. All right, we're, let's wrap it up. We're, we're, we're running out and I want to finish the way with you. I finished with everyone, the rapid fire section, three things. You ready, man? Let's do it. Okay. Most challenging sales leadership challenge that you faced and, and how do you beat it down? Yeah, gosh. And it's, it's such a good, good question, right? Cause there's, there's many challenges sales leaders face. I mean, Delivering consistent client value, developing and coaching others, managing short and long-term priorities. Um, hardest challenge, you know, one that often doesn't get talked about is how to maintain success once you've achieved it. I'd imagine a lot of the folks listening to this, your podcast take a very active role in making sure that they're crushing it, with whatever it is their, their job is. And that's great. So, like, let's say you had a, a good year or a good few years or a good decade. How do you keep that train going, uh, right? Because the underlying problem with success is it encourages adherence to the status quo, to keep doing what has worked in the past. And as a result, blinders come up and it becomes just easy to block out any other points of view that challenge what have made you successful in the past. Um, so, you know, from, from my experience, like there is very real danger to success that as a company grows, size leads to structural inertia 
age leads to uh, social inertia and success leads to simply just the pride and arrogance. I mean, as, uh, as, as my homeboy, as my homeboy Aristotle said, uh, to whom the gods want to destroy, they spend 40 years of success. Uh, so, so, so I, handling I success. Say, I love it. I love it. Exactly. Right. It's so true. I say this, this closed mindset is, is one of the greatest sales leadership challenges. I mean, heck, it applies to all leaders. Yes. I mean, why, why do, why do leaders fail? It's simple. Isolation and the inability to learn. So Damn. just don't, don't let this happen, right? Like always actively listen, learn from your staff, your customers, your competitors, industry peers, and so on. And don't be afraid to ask deep questions, right? Like go deep and stop asking all the self-serving superficial questions. Love it. That is, again, that's a unique answer. We've never had someone give us that one. Um, I'm going to end up making like an article or an ebook about the great sales leadership challenges shared from the podcast. And, and cause I think we get a lot of cool insights. That's a really good one. Handling success and stopping innovation. I, mm. I love it. Very good. The, this is a new one that we've started asking by popular demand. I can't wait to get your take. Our, our listeners are asking me, ask your guests what's their favorite interview question when they're interviewing candidates. So what's yours? When you're interviewing a candidate, what's your favorite kind of go-to question? Uh, well, you know, and, and this kind of goes back to like how we, we started this podcast around passion. And one of my favorite questions to ask is like, if you could open and run any type of store, what would you sell? Love it. That's awesome. You must get killer, yeah. killer insight on the person from that. Well, Good yeah, one. right. It, it, gives, it gives me insight into what, uh, what they're interested in. Um, and also their, you know, their, their passion and little insight to like how they, you know, do, do sales for whatever it is that they're, they're looking to sell. All right. Last one. Leaders or readers. I don't care if it's the pages that you turn or it's audibles that you listen to or blogs that you read. What should a sales leader be putting in their head if they want to make sure that they don't uh, fall into your biggest leadership trap of stopping innovating yeah. and anything you suggest? Um, okay. So there's, there's two that come to mind. Uh, one that I one that I keep going back to when things get tough is um, uh, you remember the book uh, The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen. Yes, fantastic book. Yeah, so so he wrote like a, a short a kind of not a follow up but a, a short like two hundred page book called How You Will Measure Your Life. It sounds pretty wow. ominous, <laughs> but what I love uh, about this is he puts forth like a series of of questions. Uh, how can I be sure I'll find satisfaction in my career? How can I be sure that my personal relationships become an enduring source of happiness? And how can I have a, a life of integrity? Um, and especially for like sales leaders, these are, these are all connected, right? Like there's, there's no separation between work, family, and health. Um, as, uh, gosh, as, as Ben Harwood said in an interview, one of the top traits he looks for when he's hiring is a, a candidate's ability to be a systems thinker, meaning their ability to not only understand the job function extremely well, but how it interoperates with all the other job functions. And so this same principle applies to our own life, right? Of, of course, we're all passionate about sales success, but that's just one part of who we are. Um, at the end of the day, like the relationships you have with your family and close friends, the choices you make and your health matter more than your job. I mean, it's 
simple matter is like we will outlive it. Um, so anyway, I can't can't recommend uh, this book enough. Uh, and what I what I love about it is he applies he applies all this stuff to, to like a, a business context, like using business challenges. Think of them as sort of mini case studies um, for making sense of your own life. Um, as you can imagine, there's yeah, there's no there's no easy answers, but anyway, it prompts you to consider these questions in a way that, that maybe you haven't in the past. Um, and then if we got time, my my last book recommendation uh, it's a little out there. But it would be to read children's books. <laughs> nice. Um, which one? Far, which one? So, well, okay, I don't care which ones. Uh, uh, but I think far too often, uh, salespeople, they just, and sales leaders, they get caught up in detail and, and tasks and figures and objectives. Everyone's time poor. And so it ends up being missing in so many conversations is emotion, is passion. And what better way to practice that than by reading children's books to kids, right? Mm. I mean, they can't read or really understand the story. Like what, what they're going off of are the pictures and the emotions you convey in your voice. I'm scared, happy, sad, excited. Um, so if you've got kids, great. Go read to them tonight. If not, hey, find your local children's hospital and offer to volunteer to read for an hour or two. Dude, you are, that is such good advice. That is a great way to end this. I mean, that, that is a fantastic suggestion. Uh, that will make everyone a better version of themselves. Um, I'm so glad you went there, Matt. Thank you so much. You were a fantastic guest. We are, we are for sure done and out of time. You, you, as I expected, I expected you to be great. You over delivered. I love everything you had to share. How, how do our listeners connect with you, get more of you, learn about your organization, uh, the whole deal? How, how do they get more? Yeah, sure. So they can connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Matt Marino. They can find me on Twitter, Matt underscore commerce. And uh, also, I'm a, I'm a long-distance runner, and I travel quite a bit, so I'm in cities and countries all over the place. And so if any of the listeners are runners, you can find me on Strava as well. All right, man. He, uh, he knows how to build fast growing companies that are brand new or established ones that are scaling the world uh, around the globe. And, and what I love about this conversation, he has tapped into passion as the rocket fuel for performance. And he's found that this passion is something that fuels every part of what they do as salespeople and sales leaders. Matt, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, and happy selling. It's been an honor. Thanks, Rob. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview, and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? It was really fun having Matt on the show. I really like his perspective. Uh, it was fun getting someone from FinTech in here. Uh, that That's a, a really important uh, market segment that, that grows fast, and we, we haven't had very many of those sales leaders join our show. So I really enjoyed his perspective. Um, there were so many things. I, I dug his blueprints. I dug his approach to building teams. But really, something he said early fueled almost everything else he talked about. And it's not something that has never been said, but it's the way he said it that really grabbed my attention. It was when he said, Passion is the rocket fuel for performance. And we've had a lot of people talk about passion. We've had a lot of people uh, say that that's important. 
but I liked how he labeled it as rocket fuel for performance. And he really was able to very quickly, without uh, really any hesitation, when I pushed on it a little bit and said, how do you attract and hire people of passion? And, and he gave us a really interesting set of answers around, you know, what do they talk about and can they articulate what the sources of growth are for them? Uh, can they articulate why they're passionate about what they're passionate about? Can they actually fire you up? And maybe most important, what fuels their fire? If they're very good at articulating what fuels that fire, those are really good insights. Because I got news for everyone that's listening. People aren't just passionate about one part of their life and, and eh on other parts, at least not the great ones. You want to get people that have passion fuel their life, period. And if you're not passionate about things outside of work, it will be very, very difficult for them to be passionate about things in work. And so it's really important for you to not only look to hire people of passion, but you probably ought to make sure that you're building your brand as a leader in a way that shows very clearly that you are a person that's passionate about what you do, passionate about your segment, passionate about your team, passionate about uh, the job that you do, and the way that your team does that. And there's, if I look at a lot of the people that are out there, we've got some great guests coming up and we've had some amazing guests on the show. One of the things, that's one of the lenses that I look at is, uh, as we do our homework on those people before we ask them to be on the show, do we get fired up by the kind of stuff that they, um, that they share? Um, one of our earliest guests is a really great example of that, Mark Smith. He really gets me fired up. It's clear that he has passion for what he does. And I want to go back to something that we've shared earlier on this topic, the Latin root of the word passion. Most people don't know what it is. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. Passio. If passion is a barely controllable feeling or emotion, at least that's my favorite definition of it, passio, the Latin root of passion, is something that very few people know what it is. Literally translated, it means uh, to suffer or to endure. So before you can have that barely controllable feeling or emotion, you got to be willing to work on it. you got to be willing to do the work and hang in there. And so that's why passionate leaders and passionate teams, it's the work that unites them, not the outcomes that unites them. The outcomes are things that, you know, we, we take moments and, and, and we create those moments to celebrate and we need to rah-rah. And what makes it so worth celebrating is because it's the work that we celebrate that got us there, not just the outcome. And that's why it's so important to make sure that when you're hiring people, they can articulate what fuels their fire and how they really capitalize on this passion that fuels their life. And so I think that's massively important. And if you look at his blueprint for leadership success, hyperclarity, that led to urgency, which I really thought was awesome when he said the team needs to be relentless. Urgency creates um, a feeling and a culture of relentlessness. I think he's the first person on our show that's used that term as well. And that relentlessness, that's really fueled by number three. What do you believe? What do you stand for? It can't just be hitting the number. Um, there's a lot of things that I've seen the great sales leaders stand for and believe. But make sure you are very clear on what matters to you. Because that led to number four, lean towards action, talks cheap. I see way too many people that are just too patient. Um, but my favorite part was the last one. How do you add value to each rep? Add value to the career of each rep. I, I love it. Adding value is a crucial way to fuel the passio that fuels the passion. And so 
I, I love that. You should sit down and say, what am I doing to help uh, add value to each rep? Um, and if you are the chief revenue officer, how do you add value to the, to the career of each of your managers? If you're a manager with X number of reps, how do you add value to the careers of each of your reps? That's a really good thing for you to be pretty thoughtful about and introspective about. And I'd actually be writing that stuff down and evaluating it and make sure, am I able to point to things we're doing to add value to their careers? Last thing, I loved, loved, loved his answer to the biggest leadership challenge, and that was handling success. Success can become something that stops you from innovating. You know, we get this ego. We think, I've got this down, and the way that I've done it um, is the way that we're going to do it. And the great ones, they figure out how to stay in front of the curve. The great ones figure out how to continue to make how they sell be more important than what they sell. So you ought to ask yourself, am I letting success get in my way? I just loved his quote from Aristotle where he said, uh, to every person uh, the gods want to destroy. And I'm saying it wrong. Sorry, uh, Matt. To whom the gods want to destroy, they send 40 years of success. The lesson, I love the quote. Uh, every person is in some way my superior and this I can learn. Be that leader that's off the pedestal and learning. Okay. Listen, it was a great episode. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining us. Thanks to all of you for continuing. Man, I just can't believe the growth of the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for those of you that are reaching out, keep reaching out. Uh, if you haven't rated the show yet on iTunes, please go do that. We, we really appreciate those ratings. Uh, and as always, don't worry. Just keep executing. Because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exoint, the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.